From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox president Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF. It's risk on right now. Joining us to discuss BlackRock's Kate Moore, Bank of America's Jared Woodard. Kate, are there any bears left? There are still a few holdouts, I think, John. I think there are a number of people who looked at the phenomenal move in the equity markets last week and risk assets kind of broadly and said, this is not sustainable. But no one wants to stand in front of this train going into year end. I think we'll see a lot of adjustment of positioning in January, however, and some of those bears will be a little bit bolder, especially if we rally over the next two weeks. The bears are sounding bullish this morning. Mike Wilson and Morgan Stanley, a bullish outcome for stocks off the back of what we heard from Chairman Powell. Jared Woodard, are we setting ourselves up for disappointment? How high is the bar now going into 2024? Yeah, I think it's fair to say, John, that the gains from this uh, pivot by the Fed are, are fully reflected in the market. I mean, never mind the Santa Claus rally, this market, bonds and stocks alike, have trimmed the tree. They popped the champagne cork for New Year's. They booked a ticket for summer vacation. They're so far ahead of what the economic fundamentals would suggest. If anything, this is a great point to start taking profits and look for alternative positioning for next year. Jared, you'd pull back. Why would you pull back? Well, I'd take gains in, in, in you know, unprofitable tech. That's been one of the things that's rallied the most in this short covering rally. And the most, most shorted stocks have been huge beneficiaries, as Kate mentioned, as bears pull back. But when you have low quality rallying, and when you have fundamentals that haven't really improved you know, sharply in the, in the last several weeks, if anything, we think the risk of inflation in the second half of next year is still a big concern. So investing in things that are gonna be robust to inflation and to things that are higher up in quality seems like a great way to, to position for next year at a time when everyone else is just scrambling for any kind of junk they can find. It truly has been an everything rally. Breath has improved. Kate, I just wonder from your perspective, is that's the real deal or whether that's a head fake? Yeah, look, I think there's a little bit of real deal and a little bit of head fake actually mixed in here, John. And on the one hand, you have seen a lot of people reposition, kind of uh, invest in the laggards, rotate, try and neutralize some of their underweights. Uh, and then the other hand, there's this acknowledgement that, let's say, particularly in the small cap space, um, that had been under tremendous amount of pressure as rates continue to rise, that if the worst is behind us in terms of policy tightening, there is potential for some of these companies to perform okay. I'm not going to say Phenomenal, but okay in 2024. So the earnings story has a little bit less downward pressure, I would say, in the small cap space. So there's both the repositioning, I think, and an acknowledgement the fundamentals could improve. Okay, talk to me about the sectors you do like, tech and discretionary. Are the winners of this year the winners of next year? Yeah, we like tech, discretionary, but we're looking for opportunities, John, across all sectors at this point. I might uh, take a little bit more of a bullish look and a little bit more constructive than Derek right now and say, yes, it's true that we've started to price in um, a lot of the best news from the monetary policy front, but there's a lot of good fundamental stories across all of the sectors at this point. Companies have done the work in terms of reducing their expenses. They continue to manage to the bottom line, and I think they're going to deliver actually solid earnings 
things um, across consumer, across technology, technology enablers, and even some cyclical parts uh, in 2024. Jared, would you agree with that? Yeah, look, when I mentioned going into higher quality, I'm thinking of, of companies and sectors where you have strong free cash flow with solid balance sheets that have already endured a lot of pain over the past decade. To me, that's financials, that's energy. We think about Asian equities in particular, Korea, Japan, India even, where you've got decent or even compelling valuation, lots of corporate reform, a positive macro environment. And if the consensus view is right, that you have a weaker dollar next year, a friendly Fed, those Asian stocks are really poised to benefit from a weaker dollar as well. George, you mentioned the banks. Let's talk about them. On the S&P 500, they are higher by 26%. Not yet today, but since the end of October. Is that just <laughs> off the back of the bond market move, or is there something sustainable in your mind that we're all missing? Well, I think it's, it's a few things. There's a, a taking out of, of some of the risk around uh, you know, real estate and, and some of those tail risk scenarios that have dogged the market this year. There's the understanding that a friendlier Fed, uh, friendlier you know, cost of capital is going to boost uh, multiple lines of businesses across banks. And positioning here matters too. When people have been so bearish on, on, on especially larger cap banks all year, when you have a rally of this type, you would expect that some of those most shorted names to get an uplift. Okay, what is there to like about the financials from your perspective? I gotta be honest, John, I'm not overly excited about the financials at this point. I'd be putting my incremental risk in maybe some different places. Um, you know, I mentioned discretionary before. We've had, you know, a constructive view on the sector, but I could see a broadening out in terms of retail in particular. If we continue to have what we've seen, which is like strong wage growth, uh, but not so strong, um, inflation continuing to cool, but I'm not talking about outright, you know, aggressive deflation, uh, stable monetary policy, and sentiment settling, you know, you can see a broadening out uh, in the discretionary space and across retail. And so that's a place I'm doing a little bit of work and getting more excited about. Uh, the banks, I just don't see a huge outperformance catalyst in, in 2024. Jared, what are we missing? I'll ask that twice. What are we missing? Well, I think the, the most important thing for investors to think about right now is what's priced in. Uh, what's reflected in the market today. And the consensus view on a perfect landing, uh, slower growth, friendly and you know, disinflation, and a Fed that's very happy to cut, is I think fully reflected in the market. So my, my point earlier about being tactically a bit cautious reflects the fact that the market's already well ahead of the Fed. That's why you have folks coming out in the days after saying maybe people need to reconsider. That's why my colleagues at, the, at Bank of America just have the rate forecast for cuts next year, but which is still much less dovish than the market as a whole. If, if you're an investor approaching the market you know, from a, a neutral standing point today, I think you have to have a barbell of things that are tactical a little bit more cautious, but with looking for cyclical value opportunities for the second half of this year. Structural inflation, we think, is a really big theme. That means you need to be in equities, you need to be in commodities and assets that can benefit from a structurally higher uh, stagflationary or inflationary environment. That doesn't mean you need to load up the boat at this moment, but it does mean that the asset mix that most investors have in benchmarks and model portfolios is ill-suited to the world as we see it today. Jared, you can't say stagflation, then walk away. We've got to come back to it. Stagflation. Can you build on that a little bit more? Is that the kind of environment you're looking for next year? I think in the second half of next year, there's a very meaningful risk that you see a rebound in inflation. And my colleagues in economics and across the firm, I think, have written about this as well as one of their risk scenarios. Because when you look at all the, the whole economy, it doesn't matter, households, corporates, or government, all the major sectors have 
uh, have, have, are in an environment in which their sensitivity to rate hikes is extremely low. There's still you know, lots of risk of higher inflation. And many of the metrics that we watch are still one or two standard deviations above the long-term norm. I'll give you a couple quick examples. The US federal budget deficit, 5% of GDP, unprecedented to be spending this much money with unemployment near record lows. And that's completely impervious for the Fed. People will tell you, John, oh, don't worry, Congress is going to pull back on spending next year. We think that's irrelevant. Our analysts uh, have, have, have told me that something like 77% of the fiscal stimulus that's already been authorized by Congress in the last several years hasn't even been spent yet. That's going to still come through. Households and corporates, it's the same story. Households are sitting on excess savings, still around $950 billion. People are very happy to buy houses at any price. Corporates are facing private, sec uh, private credit dry powder to the tune of $500 billion. Very happy to step in and plug any gaps in lending that might come about. And it's worth noting, too, that high-yield issuers still sitting on big cash piles. The interest coverage ratio for high-yield bond issuers is still one standard deviation above the long-term average. This is something you see very early cycle, not end of cycle. And it's the kind of thing that if the Fed does cut aggressively, you could see a rebound in inflation. Given wage growth and all the other parts of the economy, they're still looking pretty hot. Okay, what happens if Jared's right? I mean, if, it, if inflation were to rebound, which I would say we put as a pretty low probability event in the second half of next year, because we do think we're going to see a steady deceleration in overall economic activity, perhaps not a, a big recession. I think we're kind of in a glide path here. But if we were to see a rebound in inflation, that certainly would be a big hit for risk appetite. Um, if the Fed had to talk about you know, normalizing policy further, that would be a, a big risk um, for the equity market. But I would, do want to make a point here about one of the risks for the second half of 2024 that we need to talk about, which is 2024 is an election year. And during election years, especially if there's a chance of a significant change in administration and policy, you know, sometimes companies sit back a little bit and don't engage in capital expenditure outside of necessary and maintenance capex, right? They just sort of say, we'll do what's necessary, but let's see if there's a change in the tax regime or a change in regulation that's going to impact my ability to do business. So sometimes in the kind of the fourth year of a presidential cycle uh, during a big uh, contested election, you will see a change in spending. So that I'm watching, which may lead to some dampness in the economy. I'm not, uh, it's not keeping me up at night, but it's something uh, that's definitely a risk. Final word with Kate Moore, please. Kate, let's go there. The Federal Reserve, who do I listen to? The chairman pal that I heard from at the start of December, the one I heard from on Wednesday, the people I've heard from subsequently, who do I listen to? I think we listen to them all, John. That's not a cop-out answer. I mean, I think Powell was right in indicating that we can start discussing the possibility of rate cuts if the growth, inflation, and employment data suggest that's the right and appropriate move. But I think, you know, the other Fed speakers who've come out and basically said, hey, we're not promising rate cuts in the near term, that there's a lot of uncertainty in the macro data, that we're still coming out of a very unusual cycle from the pandemic, um, and like we have to wait and see, is also worth paying attention to. I mean, I think the message for markets is, like, don't get ahead of yourself and expecting a huge number of rate cuts in the first half of 2024. We still think growth is going to look quite good. Uh, some of the disinflationary pressures or the speed of disinflation may ease a little bit in the first part of 2024. But that doesn't mean, and I'm going to make another pitch for this, that it's like game over for equities. I still think there's a, a risk on move to be had, John, uh, going into 2024. Are there some basic underlying assumptions you're making on the bond market, though, Kate, to make that call? 
Yeah, that's right. I mean, to Iris' point, I would I would expect stability in yields. If we had a huge amount of bond uh, volatility, if we ended up seeing, let's say, a sustainable rise above four, four ten, and there was uh, upward pressure, I mean, that would be a little bit tougher case uh, for equities. But I do think we're going to be able to move past the obsession with monetary policy, the obsession with Fed speak, and focus a little bit more on fundamentals, which I think are going to improve. And by fundamentals, I mean specifically earnings next year. Okay, I hope that is not just a dream. That is actually a call. And it might actually materialise. You know, I think we're all on the same page. We all want to stop talking about this. Kay, thank you. Always fantastic to catch up with the brilliant Kay Moore of BlackRock, alongside Jared Woodard of Bank of America. From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox President Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF.